the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell, that's Barton Simmons, that's Tom Fernelli, and we have... Some more win totals from the legendary Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Emporium. The uh, Big 12 is available. Go check it out on the feed if you are hearing this for the first time. The ACC is available. Go check it out on the feed if you're hearing this for the first time. And the SEC East is also available. We recorded that on Wednesday. We meet here on a Thursday. And thankfully, uh, you know, we've... We we can still get these win totals in. Uh, there are there are uh, options around that if perhaps the Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Emporium does not accept your wager, uh, be sure to reach out to uh, the the PR contact for the sportsbook is Tom Fernelli. You can find him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Uh, have you? I saw that actually. Um, the Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Emporium's lines were actually getting aggregated uh, by the sports <laughs> media, Tom. Have you had any further contact from uh, anyone out there in the sports media universe for information? Uh, no, and in fact, the the site that did aggregate the the sportsbooks numbers, frankly, we, we've contacted our lawyers because they are using... <laughs> our numbers without our consent. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but they can expect to hear from us very soon. <laughs> I, I am, uh, I'm very anxious and excited to just see them, the, the uh, Edgewater Emporium numbers just start to, to slowly spread all around the media space, get retweeted, reaggregated. Uh, I was, I was thrilled to see someone actually cite the numbers. Hey, they have been done with uh, by some of the best in the business. The mm-hmm. process that is used is one that can be trusted, and that's all <laughs> that I'll say. <laughs> so we begin uh, it, with the SEC West. We're going to go alphabetical order here. We begin with the Alabama Crimson Tide. In spring gleaning, we discussed the idea, the many uh, wrinkles to Alabama, the return of Najee Harris for senior year, Alex Leatherwood, Dylan Moses. You seem to have a lot of buy-in from some of the upperclassmen that could have joined their classmates in the NFL draft, such as, oh, Devonta Smith as well. Goodness gracious, one of the best wide receivers in the country. Could have joined a, a you know, a Jerry Judy, a Henry Ruggs, uh, some of the others that did end up uh, taking their talents to the NFL. 
But the quarterback remains somewhat of a question mark. You've got the known, which is Mac Jones, who was able to come in and and be serviceable, certainly. And then we've got the unknown, which is early enrollee Bryce Young, who has been around uh, since January and his ceiling as Barton Simmons and many others have have discussed, discussed here can be winning a national championship for Alabama. For the 10-game conference-only schedule, the number that we are using here is eight and a half Barton Simmons. Which way are you going? Oh, hold on. Are you guys ready to count them up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, give me that. As much as I think it's the, the under count is a safe up. play, like, I can't even. Count them up. Count them up. How many kids are going to win this fall? I can't fathom who wins. I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. Barton Simmons, can you fathom eight wins or more for the Alabama Crimson Tide as we go with eight and a half as the number? Yeah, I can definitely fathom eight. Um, and I think that this is, I'm going to let Tom's, um, Tom's theory that uh, has been trademarked as this is the year for the chalk. This is the year for the blue chips. Uh, I'm going to let that guide me here a little bit. At least that's where I'm at. And and I I guess I guess it's the right number in terms of if you're setting a line. I guess you don't go nine and a half for Alabama here. But you know that to me is a little bit more what I'm what I'm debating. Is this a ten and zero team or a nine and one team? And even that, I understand, given the nature of this 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 cycle and the circumstances, might even be giving them too much credit because, like, may, maybe there's just a year that in the SEC we're playing ten SEC games. Like, it's just like it's just not going to happen. Like, adding two SEC games to an eight team schedule uh, is is a dramatically different season. And so may, maybe I'm just assuming too much. But I, I'm, I'm I am on the over. I think nine and one probably. Is what where Alabama lands as opposed to ten and zero? I just think it's too much to ask going through the season. But I just look at the the roster, and that's always kind of where I go from. It's just the personnel I see, and they are totally loaded on the offensive line. They are totally loaded in the running back room. Like they their third string running back maybe a future first rounder. Like their fifth string running back maybe a first future first rounder. Like it's that kind of a year at the running back position. Um, Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle are two of the top four receivers in the country in, in, in a country that involves all conferences playing. Um, Dylan Moses returns on, the, on, on defense, which I think might have allowed them to... I mean, there's no telling what difference that would have made last year if Dylan Moses was playing. Um, and then I think that you know, you're talking about a, a defense just top to bottom that's just going to be better. I, I think this is finally defensive front's going to be good again. they got some good edge rushers that are young. So I just think there's too much talent. Like there's too, there's too many waves of talent that can beat you. Um, so I'm going to play the over uh, nine and one is my hunch. What's interesting is you, you, we mentioned that the other books that have put out totals, and when I got some over you know the weekend before I put before you know do it our own, one book had Alabama's win total at seven and a half. Whoa! Yeah, one was at eight and one was at seven and a half, and the Edgewater went with eight and a half because I mean. I don't, we'll get to you, Danny and Chip, we'll get to your picks in a minute, but I just feel like for me personally, if it's at seven and a half, it's way too obvious, I think, what, what the direction to go at. Eight and a half, I think there's a little more, you know, it's, it gets more interesting. And honestly, I'm leaning towards the under. 
even yeah. with the talent thing, because this is they do have to play Georgia, they have to play LSU, and they're going to be playing Auburn, and we know you know that game how that goes every single year. You can't really count on anything. And then, as I mentioned on the SEC East show, I'm still kind of sticking to my guns about Tennessee finally pulling off the upset. <laughs> That's right. So when I'm doing that. I can't take the over because I think I look at Georgia, LSU, and Auburn, and I could see two losses in there, especially with LSU and Auburn coming at the end of the season. Now, LSU comes after a bye, but still, with a 10-week SEC schedule just kind of starting to wear on everybody as the season goes along, getting those two games late makes them even more difficult in my mind. So. I think this is an eight and two season, but I also think at the same time, just based on the way everything's going to work, especially in the SEC West, eight and two might be enough to win the division. So it's one of those situations where I think I could take the under and still take Alabama to win the division. Where's that book with seven and a half? I want to know where that is. That's interesting because that's that's an eyebrow raiser. Like as much as I if I feel really confident about a pick and I see something like that, like I'm on the over, just so you know. But if I see something like that, like instantly I'm nervous. I'm like, am I am I that wrong? And I and like usually the books know more. But I'm kind of gonna go back. Like if I've learned a lesson about Bama, it's you you fade them after the championship, and you don't fade them after they're pissed off. Like I, it, but like I guess the question is like, mm-hmm. are they that pissed off? Maybe they're not. Like maybe there's, you know, is there you know, and the quarterback is a massive issue. I know Nick Saban's probably pissed off and didn't make the playoff for the first time. Like it was a less than stellar season, but still going back to Barton's comments, like I, I wrote down my notes like best. And I think I was just talking about the SEC, which probably therefore means maybe the best in the country, best running back group, make a really strong case for wide receiving group, best offensive line, best defensive line, like top two or three linebackers, top two or three secondary. Like you go through and the talent is just, it jumps off the chart. And when it comes to the quarterback play, like, I don't know how you guys felt about feel about Tua at the next level. I feel like Tua, like, got so much hype and so much love and so much effusive praise because we haven't seen a quarterback in an Alabama offense do that. We also haven't seen an offensive scheme like they've been doing recently where they opened it all up. And I don't think they're going to shut it back down. I mean, if anything we learned from Mac Jones, he's still going to throw it all over the place, you know, you know, against Michigan, against Auburn. I mean, he's he put up big numbers. They still threw it a lot. Now, with these running backs, with this offensive line, maybe they don't have to do it as much. <clears throat> but I actually feel pretty confident about Mac Jones or Bryce Young, whoever it is. And I think they're going to get great quarterback play again because of the surrounding talent around them. Like it's going to be really hard to screw that up. I think I just I, I and I look at the schedule. I, I think there were four games that I had: Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. I'm you know we'll do LSU in a bit. I'm not as high on LSU. I think they're going to have a lot of you know like emotional stuff going on, like a letdown season. I look at Tennessee and then I I think of how Saban is going to coach up his team based on the way last year's game played out. And I think he's going to be all over that quarterback sneak we, we talked about earlier, how close it was. He's going to remind them, this team had you beat. You know, you guys almost lost. I think he's going to remind them of that. Georgia, because I'm, I'm not as high on Georgia. And then it's Auburn. And like out of Georgia and Auburn, I think maybe they split those, but that still leaves me with a one-loss season. So I'm going to take the over as well. After uh, Najee Harris got called into action, 
Against Auburn, 27 carries, 146 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. Against Michigan, 24 carries, 136 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. Those were the top two uh, totals in attempts this year. Najee Harris was not needed a whole lot during the 2019 season and not used hardly at all during the 2018 season in terms of rushing attempts. And so I see a five-star talent, uh, like superstar ceiling coming back at the running back. And like you mentioned, Barton, everyone behind him, the whole room is loaded. I'm not down on Mac Jones, but I'm also very aware that Bryce Young could end up being the starter of this football team by the time we get to the Georgia game with the Missouri, Texas A&M, Ole Miss as a chance to kind of work him in because I think that all three of those games are going to be ones where Alabama ends up winning by double digits and Steve Sarkeesian gets an opportunity to use both of his quarterbacks. I am The timing of LSU and Auburn, I hear your conversation points there, Tom, at least being at the end of the season, what kind of wear and tear are we talking about? But I'm comfortably going over the eight and a half where I've got nine certified wins in the chipulation. I don't think the LSU game is a toss up because of uh, a major drop off in experience and production. And I don't think that the Auburn game is a toss up because do do y'all know what's going to happen if Nick Saban loses twice in a row to Auburn? Like we're already starting to deal yeah. with like, you know, things are prickly enough uh, just with the fact that the Auburn fans are able to talk about how Gus has Bama's number in the iron bowl after losing to LSU and Auburn last year, Saban ain't losing those games. So I've got those chalked up as wins. I've got Georgia as my toss up. I think the conversation really is 10 and zero or nine and one. And I'm going to go over for Alabama. So <clears throat> I'm, I have, you know, when when Tom started talking, I was like, oh, you know, did I maybe I maybe I miscalculated here. Let's see what Tom has to say. And the more I've thought about it, the more I am I am um, reaffirmed in my stance. This is an over because so let, <laughs> let me th- let, like let's think about it this way. All right. So Nick Saban is what is like he hadn't lost to an uh, unranked team since like 2007 or something like it, he's he has some sort of ridiculous streak against unranked teams. He beat he beats teams he's supposed to beat, and basically to beat an Alabama team you have to be like in the stratosphere from a talent perspective. You just you don't have a chance if you don't have just a, if you don't have some horses. And so who who typically typically there's only two teams that have the horses to even like have a shot, and it's it's LSU. And it's Auburn, and usually the Auburn thing is is also a product of some voodoo rivalry, <laughs> Gus Malzahn hex stuff. And so, I, and and I, I guess this is a question I would throw to to you guys: like, do you think that the SEC has more teams now? Because they look, everyone's playing an additional two SEC games. I get it, but the question, real question, is among those ten teams. Are, are there more teams than it typical to that that are on that Alabama threshold or above that threshold of talent needed to beat Alabama? I, I would say so. I'll, I'll 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 sort of ask that question and, and throwing these teams at you. Like basically, I'm going to say no, like no, the threshold is not there for Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Arkansas, and I would even say Tennessee. But but I'm gonna say like I'll give you Tennessee just for the sake of argument. So then, are you saying 
A&M, Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn, LSU are all none. Like wh- how many of those are, on the, are above the threshold? I don't think A&M is. And I would, I think Auburn's fascinating because we've given them so much credit for just being like defensive stalwarts. And we've got names, you know, with like a big cat, Bryant and a KJ Britt, like they should still be strong defensively, but if Bo Nix doesn't take a big step forward, I don't know if Auburn right now is, uh, is is worthy of being on that level. And LSU's got talent, but a lot of it unproven. Like I I mean is Florida even on that level? Does Florida have the I, horses? Like Florida can I, win the SEC East and then go be the sacrificial lamb like Jim McElwain style to Alabama in the title game. Yeah, I guess my point is like let's just I mean Bama's still Bama. Like let's let's like that they had to it took a insane insane Auburn win like and it took three point win it, and then a five took, point win for LSU, which right. is the best college football team of all time. It uh, it's. Do you guys remember there was a CBS game of the week and it was on and I think Gary Danielson gave the stat. I think it was them. It was a couple years ago and he was like, eighty percent of the roster are four and five star players. Like that is unheard of. And even Georgia is. Maybe on, but I think George is the only one that comes close to the stratosphere of the level of talent. And Barton probably can back, back this up, like statistically, of the amount of four and five stars that have been there. It's just they always have the most talent. I mean, they just do. I mean, it's really surprising when they do lose or they do get knocked off, and they typically never get beat by a team they're not supposed to win. And you know, the teams that they, that they challenge them are almost as good. And I'm with you. I think there's. I think it's really only Georgia, maybe Florida. But I, I just, I, I just, it's done. I mean, unless like when when Tom said this one book had seven and a half, I'm like, does that book know an agent that knows there's players opting an opt out? out? You know, wave. like yeah. seriously, like are there going to be ten like the Patriots and then like is that the type of situation? Because then that's a different ball game. But until I get that, I'm taking the over. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there are really aside from Georgia any teams in the SEC that are on that same tier as Alabama as far as like talent and all that stuff. It's just, I don't think the gap is as wide as it might have been a few years ago. So I look at Alabama and I think it's still clearly one of the elite teams in college football, but the last couple of years, and it's part of it's been injuries. I just feel like you know, there's, it's still really good, but there's some cracks in the paint and some, some parts of it are chipping and I am not as confident in it being an absolute juggernaut as I have been, even though the offense the last couple of years has been phenomenal. And there are questions. I mean, I, I'm a Mac Jones stan. I have been on this podcast since last year and through the off season. And I, I still think Bryce Young, you know, is talented enough where he could take it over. But I do think that there are questions at the quarterback spot and the way Alabama has changed its approach in the last few years, like five years ago, we wouldn't have cared who their quarterback was. We'd talk about how great they were everywhere else. And it wouldn't matter who the quarterback was because he wasn't the most important player on the team, but they're running an offense now where the quarterback's very important. So with those kind of questions and with the longer 
larger SEC schedule that sees them playing two extra games. I think it's I think it's going to be really hard for anybody to get through the SEC with only one loss this year. Just being completely blunt about it. So I think that playing in the SEC West where you've got to play the six teams in your own division, but then you're getting Georgia from the East as well. You're getting a Kentucky team that's not, you know, as good as you are, but is still a pain in the butt to play. A Tennessee team that's going to be a pain in the butt to play. I just think that we're going to see him trip up twice. A little body blow kind of. Yeah. The physicality. Well, my last thing on Bama is I don't think that they have I don't think that they've slipped at all in terms of the dominance that they are capable of and in terms of the the roster that they put together. I think the difference is that there are a couple of teams that are have raised their level of talent to where they can compete. But I think that that list extends to like Georgia. You know, like mm. extends, you know, and, and whatever. But we get they to have Ohio to play State Georgia or, this year. They usually no, don't have to play Georgia. Right, for sure. So, so and, and Georgia, I think, could beat Alabama. Like, I think they're capable of beating Alabama. Um, and I will get to LSU, but, like, I'll get, like because LSU beat Alabama last year, I, I, you know, I guess te- <laughs> technically they're capable, but nah. I don't think that they're capable. Count them up! Yes, sir! Y'all let me take my shoes off. <laughs> let me take my socks off. Sam Pittman in the Arkansas Razorbacks. He takes over a program that has not won an SEC conference game since 2016. When the schedule was announced with only SEC conference games, boy, things became an uphill battle for the Hogs fans out there. Now... You can find uh, some encouragement in the idea that you've got uh, a new voice in there, that you maybe have a a solidifying direction or a presence, but this is a first-time-ever head coach taking over in the SEC West without the spring practice and off-season conditioning that you would normally have. The number that we're working with here is one and a half, Danny, are you brave enough to call these hogs and take the over? In a word, no. <laughs> I feel like I gave this Arkansas team a little bit of the Vanderbilt treatment. Was it Vanderbilt, Barton, that you were like, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really do a whole lot? I, You know, you did some digging. You know, you look at the over <laughs> record versus the SEC West. Yeah. <laughs> you're on, you're same deal today. Yeah. I just... I, I saw I, zero spring practices. You know, some teams snuck in a few. Zero spring practices. Um, the fact they played five different quarterbacks last year. They bring in Felipe Franks to be the savior. I was not sold on Felipe Franks when he had a lot of talent around him. Now he doesn't have a lot of uh, talent around him. I just, I think it's going to be a long road for Sam Pittman this season. You know, I think... I, can he get the offense? Like this team to me does feel like it could be a physical bring in the hogs, you know, kind of like Brett Bielema tried to do, you know, maybe that can happen, but that takes time. You got to get in your type of offensive lineman. I, I just, I have a hard time finding any wins. I think it could be an offer, but it doesn't have to be. I, I, maybe it's one to be great, but I think even one win on this schedule, I just, it's hard for me to find a lock. So I'm going to take the under. Yeah, I kind of spoiled my pick. If you listen to our SEC show when I was talking about the crime that was we not getting a Vandy Arkansas game. I mean, because I I look at this schedule and 
I mean, George is a loss. Well, it's Auburn's the best teams from the SEC East. Like they, it wasn't that they don't play You're, Vanderbilt. They played Georgia, Florida, yeah. and Tennessee. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like you, you aren't, you've got the absolute, you know, short end of the stick here when it comes to your draw from the East in that you have to play your entire division. And like you said, oh, and we'll give you, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida too. You know, just just have some fun with that. So when you go through it, it's like Georgia's a loss, Auburn's a loss, AM's a loss, Tennessee's a loss, Florida's a loss, LSU's a loss, Alabama's a loss. So that leaves you with three games where you're kind of looking to see if you can find two wins. Can they beat Mississippi State? Maybe it's it's going to be Mike Leach's second game in charge of Mississippi State, so they might not be full go. Can they beat Mississippi? Maybe Lane's effects might not have taken advantage or taken complete hold by the fourth week of the season. And could they beat Missouri at the very end of the year? Maybe. But are they going to win two of those games? No, they might win one. So I feel like if you're Arkansas, one win is probably your ceiling here. And if you get it, you should be happy. That said, I still love the Pittman hire and I still like where that program's headed. Uh, all right. So for me, um, I am. So, all right. The number's one and a half. And I agree with Tom that you're basically are trying to find two wins out of three opportunities. Um, Hunter Juracek, I think the Arkansas athletic director accurately proclaimed this the hardest schedule in college football history. And I think you could you could make a pretty good case. It's the hardest schedule in college football history. You get one by week, and then you get like seven top 15 caliber teams. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> so this, so let's just say um, when, I, when I make this pick as an over, I am not running to the window. But I am going to just officially tabulate my name in, the, in just the oversight of this. Okay? <sighs> I try. That's I, I, try, I try. <laughs> Let me see if I believe what I'm saying here. Uh, I try to. I always look at teams from a personnel standpoint, like first, and then I try to like like balance that out with whatever um, thematic uh, issues may be going on, one way or the other, with with some more holistic viewpoints and and and, and all that kind of stuff. But like with this, the, the reality is. I do look at Arkansas and I do see Rakeem Boyd, one of the best running backs in the country, arguably. I do see Traylon Burks and Trey Knox and Mike Woods, three receivers all returning. Burks and Knox are were two true freshmen last year that were very talented and could potentially be a, a really potent, stout wide receiver core. I do see an offensive line guru in Sam Pittman that Whatever he inherited, while it may not be good, it will be improved. I do see a defense, and I and and I and I do think about what Chad Morris did from a recruiting standpoint. That is, that was good. Like he recruited well. They didn't leave him a, a, an empty roster. I do look at the situation, and I do look at the quarterback position being just absolutely inept. Like like buffoonery at quarterback over the last couple years and now they have Felipe Franks who is no like he's he's not gonna be a first round draft pick but Felipe Franks is is a capable talented quarterback 
And that's assuming he wins the job. KJ Jefferson's a good player too. But maybe Malik Hornsby, the true freshman, can can you know come in and give him a change of pace guy. Like so, I, I like in a regular season, I was fully anticipating picking the over whatever that was going to be because I figured they get a couple conference wins, they show improvement, and they they over overachieve. It's hard for me to say they overachieve to 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 two wins given how slim the margins are for this, and I'm not sure which of the two they'll get. I just. I just think that this is a nice match from a head coaching position. I think they have better pieces than people are giving them credit for. And I I am cautiously optimistic about Arkansas. Incredible. No, I'm on the under. <laughs> I mean, just the, like, that was some, uh, that was great work. Uh, I appreciate you serving that role for today's meeting of the debate class. And, uh, your your opposition to the majority has been duly noted. Uh, I've got 10 losses, zero toss-ups. I mean, it is the mm. hardest schedule in all of co- in college football history. And the fact that they drew even the best teams from the SEC East, like that was that was a spot where Missouri is, has the Arkansas game circled. Like we we got to get this one, you know, like it's, it's, you know, rivalry game and, and in that Thanksgiving rivalry week, you know, if it maybe it gets played on that Friday, uh, after the day after Thanksgiving and, you know, Eli Drinkwitz knows that that's, that's the one that they got to win. They've, they're already putting together the game plan. You know, we're advanced scouting is all Eli Drinkwitz thinks about these days. He's, he knows that that Arkansas game has got to be the one they got to win. I'm going uh, under the one and a half. How many games are going to win this fall? So Chad Morris, formerly the Arkansas head coach, is now arm in arm with his old Arkansas high school compadre, Gus Malzahn, as uh, as they are now running the Bo Nix show, year two of Nix at starting quarterback. We mentioned a couple of the, the, strong, uh, the strong players that are left from a defense that was dominant. And that defense has really led Auburn in its success over the last couple of years. I think at the wide wide receiver position, they've still um, they've still got players such that if Bo Nick can become a more uh, threatening passer, they can really stress some defenses. The running back position is a big question mark, but you know there's enough there at Auburn to think that we've got a pretty pretty high floor. The over under number that we are using right here is at five and a half. Uh, Danny, you want first crack at the Tigers? Sure, I'll take it. Full disclosure, last year I gave Bo Nix as a dark, dark, dark horse pick for Heisman. So I was all in on the high school career. You know, uh, his dad played like the whole fairy tale. Felt pretty good after the Oregon game, right? He didn't play great, but he had some big throws when he needed them. Um, to a massive wide off, receiver. Right? He just he threw <laughs> he, to a massive wide receiver. I mean, it was Seth yes. Williams. Seth Williams yes. doing a, re- a, a rebound box out was the, th- the target. Correct, correct. Uh, and then it was a struggle, right? Let's just be honest. Yeah. It was a struggle for Bo Nix throughout the season. Um, he's got to get better. I think he will get better. Um, the defense, I think you know, I'm a big fan of Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator. I do think they're at a point where they do start to restock. Um, you mentioned Big Cat Bryant coming back. I think their linebackers are outstanding. Um, KJ Britt's a stud. I think they've got some weapons. You mentioned Seth Williams coming back. The offensive line could be an issue, but I feel like some of that 
can be mitigated with the speed and tempo they go with and the you know just the style of their play where yes when they're great they have great offensive linemen but I think that's one thing they're actually pretty good at is masking young offensive linemen and making sure they're not a liability um I took the over, but I would say I'm tiptoeing to the window, kind of like Barton would. This would be like uh, your lowest unit, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> I would not go all in with the max uh, bet. I had them beating Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. And that was like, boom. Then I got a couple – I had them losing to Georgia and Bama and LSU, Texas A&M toss-ups. But, like, I thought the number was low, so I'm going to take over. Uh, okay, so I'll go. Uh, this is this is tough because I I do think that in a way Auburn is built for this. Gus Malzahn is built for this. Like he he thrives in feet to the fire. This is a ridiculous circumstance. You know, a bunch of these other teams like they don't they don't like being being in the in in the pot quite like Gus Malzahn does. Like he's feeling that that's. Scalding hot water is comfortable for this guy. And it's scalding hot water every week this season. And so in a way, I like Auburn's makeup to be successful this season. I just, I think when you start, when you throw all the games in a pot and you shake them up and you just, and like you just sort of see what comes out. Like I just, I, I come out with Auburn getting, getting beat up a little bit. I got, mm. like I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards five and five I'm leaning towards the under and so and and so like I think the the idea that you're losing Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson and Nick Coe and like that type of an impact on a defensive line just can't be replicated and the idea that you know I, I think Bo Nix kind of is what he is and I th- and frankly I think Bo Nix is a pretty good match for Gus Malzahn and what Gus Malzahn wants to do offensively. And I am I am more interested than anything else in what it means to insert a Chad Morris sprinkle into like the, the this whole equation. And so it, it all that to say like I think they have talents at running back. Yes, there's, you know, we don't know who the starter is going to be, but they have they have good options. They have they're talented at receiver. They have a quarterback with Moxie, but I just I don't know. Like it just feels to me like this is a team that l- relied so much on that defense last year, and that defense is not going to be quite the same level as it was. I mean, they had a first round draft pick at corner too. Like on top of those defense alignment, like. I just don't think you can seamlessly replace those guys. I would sacrifice some of that moxie for some accuracy, personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, <laughs> I, I'm going over. I'm not like, I'm, I'm kind of like Danny. I'm not running to the window for this one. It's just, I think that you look at this schedule, Georgia, LSU, and Alabama are the three losses that stick out. But Auburn being Auburn, you can't really say, oh, there's no chance they're going to win any of those games. They could, we've seen them beat Alabama plenty. We, we could see, you could see them pulling off another upset against Georgia. The LSU game, in an odd way, I feel like is the least winnable for them simply because it'll be their sixth game in a row without a bye. So they might be kind of bruised and battered by then. But I think Kentucky's a win. 
Arkansas is a win. South Carolina is probably a win. Mississippi's probably a win. Mississippi State, probably a win. Tennessee and Texas A&M are somewhat coin flips, but if one of those goes your way, I mean, we're looking at a six-win team where it's not exactly a a powerhouse that, you know, is going to live up to being the top 10 billing or whatever they're probably going to get going into the season at this point, but they're still going to be a pretty good team. And like you mentioned at the very top, Chip, I think that at least has raised the floor enough where I think six wins is safe, even if I'm not super confident in their ability to get to seven. It's just I don't really see them being much worse than five and five either. So I'm leaning over. It's it's not the most confident play, but I, I just think that at some point Gus is going to beat somebody he shouldn't beat because that's just what Auburn tends to do with Gus. Yeah, they the Auburn Tigers came close. Uh, they do not get the crown as the toss-up kings in my analysis. Uh, that's going to be another team in the SEC West that comes up, but it is you know as many toss-ups as certified wins. But at the same time, Georgia and Alabama were the only surefire losses that I put down for Auburn. And so between Mississippi, Mississippi State, LSU, and Tennessee, can Auburn go get two of those? I think so. And you know, what is the influence of Chad Morris? I don't know. I've kind of come full circle on this because I spent so much time decrying the putt-putt offense. The fact that the whole <laughs> Auburn offense makes you want to hit it through the clown's mouth when the teeth are open and he wants you to look over here and then he's going to swing it around the corner. I I, I kind of want to see, like you mentioned, Barton, I, I want to see more of uh, Bo Nix doing some of that elusive trickery and leaning into the window dressing. We might see yeah. it, you know, but um, without a full spring and fall, even though Gus Malzahn may say that, you know, we're going to let Chad Morris run it, I'd bet the playbook's really similar. It was like, hey, we don't want to put too much on his plate. And it was sort of keep things pretty similar from what they did last year, which... You know, it's good enough to beat Alabama, good enough to be competitive. Uh, Auburn, you know, Bo Nix was not the reason, but Auburn was right there against LSU. It was the defense was the reason. But I, I think that this is a very high floor team with four wins, only two certified losses that can go and get me two of those four toss-up games. So I will be going over the five and a half. I do. I also see something like six and four for the Tigers in 2020. Coming up on the other side, we'll turn our attention to the reigning national champion, LSU Tigers, next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So LSU, uh, 
This is from uh, the Bill Connolly returning production rankings, uh, which takes into consideration uh, defense, uh, you know, tackles, tackles for loss, uh, all the statistical categories, your yards, and, um, you know, all of the starts even along the offensive line. LSU ranked number 127 out of 130 FBS teams. And then that includes number 128 offensively and then number 92 defensively. And that number 92 defensively was even before the couple of opt-outs due to coronavirus or concerns or NFL draft preparation. Most recently, uh, Kerry Vincent Jr., a starter and a very, very good player who made that announcement just three days ago. So even less returning production for this LSU team. So our number that we're working with here is seven and a half. And it's a pretty manageable schedule the way I ran it. I mean, I got really, really quickly. I got out to five wins. Vanderbilt, win. Missouri, win. South Carolina, win. Arkansas, win. Mississippi, even. I'll give that one as a win to the Tigers. I mean, Miles Brennan doesn't need to be even half of a Joe Burrow for this to be a five and five team. But when we talk about the next step and when we talk about getting to seven and a half, I do see a loss to Florida. I see a loss to Alabama. And then my toss-up games, the way that I'm looking at it, are Mississippi State, Auburn, and Texas A&M. I, I definitely see this as a seven and three with even a six and four possibility. So I'm actually going to be going under for LSU. Yeah. I'm on the over. Mm. I get it. I understand that they have to replace a lot, but there still is a lot of talent left on this team. And I also feel like in a year like this, Ed Orgeron's motivational ability is going to be very important, keeping his team interested and keeping his team ready to play every single week. And it's like you mentioned, Chip, because when you look at the schedule, there are five, six wins right off the bat where you're like, okay, those are wins. We, we could chalk this up, but I'm much more confident in LSU's ability to beat Florida I'm confident in their ability to beat Auburn. And I think that they're probably going to beat Texas A&M considering, you know, how last year's game against Texas A&M went. I feel like there's a lot of ground that the Aggies have to cover there. So I, I don't think they're beating Alabama. I don't think they're winning the division, but I do see this team getting two eight wins and being eight and two, and maybe not like an impressive eight and two in long lines of what we saw they were able to do last year. It's going to be much more of a down to earth eight and two, but I still think that is very much in play here. So I think that's more likely than seven and three. So I'm on the over and I actually feel pretty good about it. All right. I'm on the under. And I actually feel pretty good about it. Mm. Uh, I I got, I got seven and three. Okay. And this is my, my reason for spur under is that this is not the year for what has happened at LSU to have happened at LSU. Like this is not the year for that. And what has happened at LSU is this, they lost essentially. So the starting point, let's acknowledge first, starting point was best college football team of all time. Right. right? So from the best college football team of all time, they've lost essentially 40, like 40% of the team essentially has turned over. They got 49 guys back from that team, 31 players gone. That's that's like kind of crazy to think about, but that's that's the however many draft picks, however many under, undrafted free agents, plus the two opt-outs, 
Um, so that's a huge turnover as is, okay? Then you throw in new quarterback replacing the best quarterback performance of all time. Then you throw in new defensive coordinator who's running a new scheme. Then you throw in new pass game coordinator who is replacing the guy that basically like transformed this offense. And, and I just think it's just, it's just asking so much of this team to be able to run it back in a, in a, and, and now granted, like this is a good number and, and eight and two is, is still a pretty significant drop off from the best college football team of all time. But I think that, Seven and three to me bakes in some some games that we're just not like programmed to think LSU can lose. And I think they can lose it because not only is there all that turnover in terms of the because like we I think we talked about it early in the spring when we were talking about just hey, they're missing spring practice. So let's evaluate what does it mean to be a good team in the COVID era? Well, it means, you know, the, the teams that have a foundation of leadership and experience returning and all the uh, like it's just hard to build an identity when all those guys have gone and all those leaders are gone. And so I just, I'm just like all due respect to Ed Ogeron and what he's built and the recruiting they brought in and the blue ships that are coming in that are ready to roll as true freshmen because there are. There's going to be a five-star starting at cornerback. There's going to be a five-star starting at tight end. Those guys are studs. All that said, like it's just, it's betting against so much to expect them to be able to, to run it back anywhere close to what happened last year. I think eight and two is a massive success story for this LSU team this year. I don't think they get it. I'm on the under too. I, for a lot of the reasons Barton just gave, that Chip gave, I, I just knowing the psyche, like seeing how what an emotional team this was, what an emotional high that you had. Like it's really hard to replicate that and bring that type of intensity level back to the table with a lot of new pieces that are there and with the pieces that are returning, like, you know, we've already seen two opt out. I'm seeing some rumors crop up of there could be more players. Like if you're, if you're Jamar chase, like you're sitting there looking at it and you're like, all right, what, what's, what's left? Like what's left for me? Like you just won a national championship. You're going to be a first round pick. Like this is the ultimate just go. Like, and I'm sure he's got voices and some people are telling him just go. Um, protect you. I, I just, I just, from the mental standpoint, I think it's a, such a battle for this team to overcome. We don't know how good the quarterback is going to be. Uh, I love Steve, Steve Ensminger. Talked to him uh, at the championship game. and was at, It was before leading up to, I said, hey, you know, Joe Brady had been announced. I'm like, what? You know, have you? He's like, I learned a ton from him. I'm gonna, and I, I love the mentality of these two guys. The way they created that success together, it was very unselfish. I don't, you know, how much of that on game day calls was Joe Brady versus Steve Ensminger? I don't know, but that offense looked completely different than it ever had before. Can he just carry up and start doing the same things? I don't. There's just way too many question marks. I've been bearish on this team all off season. And I don't see any reason to change my mind. Although the number is really intriguing because I do think there are six wins that are locks. But I, yeah. ju- I, I, I but that that's the thing that scares me. Why I wouldn't just go all in, put everything on it, is the schedule is pretty manageable. Like it, those six wins, I think are 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 wins, even with or without some of the guys, some more guys opting out. 
Have so uh, I'm, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I'm the lone under on Alabama, and I'm lone yeah. over on LSU. All right. Okay. Can't wait till I get both right. <laughs> um, have <laughs> y'all one thing that? Go ahead, Chip. Oh, have y'all caught any of this uh, Ed Oteron potential Dave Aranda shade in the uh, the run up? Like no, no. Very, very excited to be running a four three with Bo Pelini. <laughs> very, very uh, comfortable with the way things are going to be running defensively, particularly along the defensive line, and uh, excited to see what happens when they're able to simplify things. As though maybe when they weren't as simple before Bo Pelini arrived, uh. it was hurting their ability for success. Listen, given that. Ed's background, he'd be happy running a 6-1 defense. He <laughs> wants as many right. defensive lines right. out there as he can get. <laughs> no, but but the, th- the other point I want to make that kind of strikes me is whenever you hear um, like uh, oral histories of the 2019 season, like you hear Dave Aranda talk about it or you hear other coaches or players discuss sort of like what made the team special, what made the season special, it, it was – it was just about execution. It was about like this team had this incredible ability to dial in on game day, to dial in in practice. The practice was off the charts. Like execution was off the charts. It, as as much as Joe Brady brought to that team in terms of 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 just sort of pushing the envelope a little bit, like the the people that played against him and and the 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 X's and O's guys that that break them down, like they're not doing anything crazy. Like I remember talking to people that played against, um, you know, Ole Miss when Hugh Freeze was there and talking about how Hugh Freeze was so far ahead of the game from the RPO stuff. Then it was just so difficult to defend that stuff. Like they, LSU really wasn't tricking anybody. They were just out executing people. Mm-hmm. And so that tells me that like, it's not like the, the secret, the, the secret sauce wasn't some, you know, these like secret plays that, that Joe Brady left in the office. Like it was just an incredible execution by a, by a, a, a phenomenal group of players. And I, I just think that's going to be hard to replicate in, in another year. I quickly, when you guys get asked, what's the hardest place to play in? What's the, almost the unanimous answer? Death Valley. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. and without, I mean, it's, and I, I think it's actually overstated. I absolutely think it's the most intense place to play. And when you say LSU at night, like it's even more different, but it's not going to be there. It's not going to be the same. And like, and that's going to put even more on Ed O's shoulders to get this team emotionally ready every night when, you know, he already did. It wasn't like that was a struggle, but that crowd does mean something without that. I, it's going to be, I, it's, it's going to be a completely different environment than what those players are used to. When uh, it was the 2018 season, Georgia came to Death Valley as the number two team in the country. Kirby put out Justin Fields for some trick plays, and then the <laughs> whole game snowballed. I think that LSU ended up winning that game 38-16, to 16, and the game snowballing, the crowd was absolutely a factor. Georgia just lost all its confidence, and it was, uh, it was a pretty incredible thing to watch. Count them up. Mississippi Rebels, number we're working with right here, is at four and a half. The lane train comes to Oxford. Have we officially shut the Grove down, or are we going to like do 20% of groving uh, in Oxford? 
I, I think no you're, you're going to see some Grovers oh, yeah. pull, pull the old, uh, this is a peaceful protest against the other team kind of view. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. They're not going to stand I, for just like, you're not allowed in the Grover. I did see some schools putting out tailgating protocols out yeah, there. Florida so. State. Being one I, know, of them. I, didn't, I didn't want to throw my squad under the bus like that, but it was, that is the account that I saw tweet that out. So, uh, all right. So the, the schedule set at four and a half, the teams that Mississippi draws from the East, uh, include Florida, Kentucky, Vanderbilt and South Carolina. Uh, so what we've got with this, um, do we believe that John Rice Plumlee is going to be starting quarterback, maybe. We've got Carrion Ely already as a potential big play threat at running back. Offensively, there has been a little bit of, not a little bit, but there has been success that's followed Lane Kiffin sort of uh, throughout his ups and downs and even all the way to FAU. Defensively, I am lacking to find a whole lot of confidence. So guarantees it should be a fun season. Uh, or at least uh, maybe a, a good old Mississippi overs well that we could tap into at some point once we start to get going with the locks. Uh, Tom, why don't you get us started? Four and a half. I mean, you you, you mentioned Plumley. He doesn't really strike me as a Lane Kiffin kind of quarterback. So I, I don't know what the situation is going to be there entering the year. I think that Matt Corral is still there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Is he a Jeff is he a Jeff Levy quarterback though? The mm. former UCF offensive coordinator. Maybe. Yeah, he's probably a better fit for that. I I just I my main concern with with Mississippi is what you mentioned, Chip. It's that defense. I do not have a lot of faith in that team being able to get as many stops as it's probably going to need to compete with a lot of the teams on its schedule. So when I go through this, Florida's a loss for me. Alabama's a loss. Auburn's a loss. LSU's a loss. AM, probably a loss. So now we're looking at the, the Egg Bowl, South Carolina, Vandy, Arkansas, and Kentucky. I'm leaning more based on our, what we talked yesterday. I, I'm leaning more towards Kentucky in that game. So now I'm down to Arkansas, Vandy, and Mississippi State. Well, that's only three wins. And then South Carolina. So even if they sweep those games, they're four and six. So I, I have to go with the under here. I. I think that Lane is going to do a lot of good things for them. And I think that in a few years, we're going to see like a kind of talent infusion that we'd seen at the beginning of Hugh Freeze's tenure that will probably raise the floor. I just don't think we're going to see that in year one. I think there's there's still work that needs to be done. And expecting it in that first season is probably asking a bit too much, especially now that they have to do it against a 10-game SEC schedule. Uh, I'm also on the under. Uh, and, and this one, I... Let me see. So, like, this is the type of team, like, uh, when I go over on Arkansas, like. You got to find a win somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm proud of you for maintaining integrity in your process. (laughs) But, but uh, this has been a pretty pessimistic uh, set of locks for me, honestly, uh, between the East and the West. A lot of unders. Um, This is a, this is a new staff, obviously. This is, they didn't have, I, I don't, eh, they may have got a couple of spring practices in, but they didn't get a, a significant chunk in. Um, the, again, the defense is what worries me as well. Sam Williams, their best player on defense probably is, uh, is, is under indefinite suspension. That doesn't help. They lost some other pretty good defense alignment from last year's team. That doesn't help. I'm excited to see the offense. If, 
I, we're like two days into, into practice at this point. I think that they're splitting reps between the ones between Corral and, and uh, Plumley, which is interesting to me. Like maybe, maybe they're just not showing their hand, but I, I would, I don't know. I would imagine Plumley would have just been the one. And then we'll, you know, we'll go from there. Cause I, I was thinking in terms of, cause what you said, he's not a Lane Kiffin quarterback. I, I was also thinking, well, you know, central. I, I ranked the quarterback rooms in college football top twenty-five quarterback rooms. I didn't leave. I, I didn't have Central Florida on there, and all the Central Florida fans were upset. Uh, and I was thinking, like, you'd probably trade Ole Miss's quarterback room with Central Florida's, like John Reese Plumley and and Matt Corral. Like John Reese Plumley's probably better than Dylan Gabriel. So I think you can do Central Florida stuff with John Rice Plumley, and I think that when you throw Elijah Moore in there and Jerry Ely and um, the you know Snoop Connor and they they recruited two really good running backs in this freshman class like they have a fun group of skill players and they should be a fun team to watch and it was going to be really fun to watch them in a Rich Rodriguez offense but it it may still be really fun to watch them in a Jeff Levy offense and a late with some Lane Kiffin you know uh, dust on it and so I, I think it's going to be uh, like Tom said maybe a bunch of overs and maybe Chip said it maybe a bunch of overs. Um, and it's maybe I think it'll probably be a pretty fun season, but four and six seems more likely to me than five and five. As the uh, chairman of the UCF fan club, unofficial fan club, I might have to take issue with your quarterback that you would. T- I like Dylan Gabriel a lot. I'm not saying I don't. Uh, I'm just saying like put put John Rice Plumley in the AAC in the UCF offense, and you're telling me he's not going to go wild. I don't know throwing the football. I mean, it wasn't that accurate this past season. He might run all over him if he has a system like Rich Rod designed for him. Um, they ran like to me. If you run a quarterback that much, and I know it's Rich Rod, I, I just think it's not truly a quarterback. Oh. I, you know, like I think there's deficiencies. <laughs> I, I like it, like he led the SEC in rushing yards per game. Classic old pro style <laughs> yeah. passer. But, I mean, but still, I just think it, you know if he's worth the salt, you throw it a little bit more. You expose him a little bit more to the passing game. And I know you have to do what you have to do, but that's a whole other conversation. Um. I love to hire DJ Durkin to run up the defense. I think that was a steal. I, you know, you could, however it went down at Maryland, I think he's a great defensive coach. This whole, the whole state of Mississippi hirings, I love it from a standpoint of it's going to give us a lot to talk about throughout the season, throughout the next few seasons. One, there's probably the more likely scenario is one of them turns out really ugly. I mean, it just, like, I don't know, like a, it's probabilities. I don't know what they like, what it would be, which one, but like you've got Mike Leach, quirky personality, and it's offense. We haven't, you know, it's, it's different. Then we got Lane Kiffin, who's already been in the SEC once, and he's, I, I covered him the last couple years at FAU. Let's just say it's not what I've been used to as far as, you know, you get head coaches and they're so buttoned up and dialed in and everything's to the minute. It, I would say both times, he was late to our TV production meeting, which isn't out of the ordinary. Like, they'll make you wait. But we waited like a solid 40 minutes, both on the road. When usually on the road, we, I had him at North Texas. Usually on the road, they're just getting there, and you can see them come in off the bus, and we're waiting. He, like, went up to his room. I don't know what was going on, but it took like 40 <laughs> minutes. We were waiting there. We were about to leave. I was like, come on. Then I've had him at FAU. Kind of the watch, same thing. Watch an old rerun of a sitcom right. or something. Just chilling. Right. right. Then you talk to some of the assistants and they're like, oh, yeah, it's laid back. Like it's it almost feels like it was perfect at FAU. I don't know how it works. Now, the one thing I do know, Ole Miss will get him some players. 
Like he's going to have some talent at some point. I don't know if it's there yet. The quarterback is a concern for me. I don't know how it works. The schedule's an issue. Um, did you see? I saw a quote from Lane too that said he didn't want to watch. He didn't want to evaluate players off film, but he was going to be forced to because they didn't have enough spring. So he's trying to evaluate his lineup based on film, which he didn't even admitted said I don't like doing that. Um, again, new new coach, new system, like a lot of newness. I got I got the under. I think it's four and eight, and probably might even be three and seven. Unite us. Unite the clans. And that's uh, no sad version of this because I do think this is going to be a wildly entertaining season for Mississippi. And if we're going to guess the way it goes or the way it might burn down, I think that Mississippi's chances for it not to work for Lane Kiffin are related to that talent accumulation. And I think that Mississippi states are probably uh, tied a little bit more to the behavior of the head coach uh, as it moves forward for Mississippi here. It's interesting because, and we're going to get to the Bulldogs in a little bit. Mike Leach's performance in rivalry games has me putting the egg bowl as a check mark for Lane Kiffin. where I've got that as a certified win. I believe that the two teams in a power ranking format, I consider them uh, to be, you know, pretty close to each other. We're going to be dealing with two teams that uh, here have win totals set at four and a half. But I think that that game ends up breaking Mississippi's way because of Lane Kiffin's uh, unique sense of tapping into the passion of the rivalry and using it to motivate his players I, unfortunately for the Rebels, do see five losses here. They are Florida, Kentucky, Alabama, Texas A&M, and LSU. And, like, I threw Auburn as a toss-up just because, I don't know, man, I do think Lane's going to get somebody. Lane's going to have one ranked win. You know, even in this world where everybody's going to be ranked, he's going to do it once. Maybe that's Auburn. South Carolina was the other toss-up I had. And then in addition to the Egg Bowl, Arkansas and Vanderbilt, that makes things easy. But even with a couple of breaks on the schedule at four and a half, I think four and a half is probably close to, it's a really, really good number, but uh, I end up shading under on this one. Oh, wrong one. It was not. How many games are going to win this fall? Mississippi State Bulldogs, like I mentioned, set here at four and a half. They do get Vanderbilt. They get Missouri, but then they also have Georgia and Kentucky all from the SEC East. We've got KJ Costello, who had a shootout game during his uh, awesome 2018 campaign against Washington State. I maintain that that game was what set off the light bulb in Mike Leach's head to realize what he can accomplish with the Bulldogs. Now, can KJ Costello stay healthy? An absolute concern. I think that uh, the Bulldogs' success offensively is going to be very reliant on Costello being healthy. But if that's there, combined with Mike Leach, I think things could end up uh, being going well for the Bulldogs. Defensively, they do lose a lot of key players from last year's team, which the Mississippi State overs were, were remember, tied to the best players missing games as suspensions were sprinkled throughout the season. We'll have to wait and see uh, how things go for that side of the ball, especially opposite an air raid offense. Danny, at four and a half, which way are you leaning on the Bulldogs? So, I 
looked at these two teams, like we did them back to back, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, was under on Ole Miss. And I kind of looked at it, I was like, all right, which one do I think is closer? And I thought it was Mississippi State. I mean, clearly had a better record last year. They were six and seven. Ole Miss was four and eight. Um, I think the quarterback, you know, Barton, I know is a big fan of KJ Costello. I, he's clearly, I think he's a better option at quarterback than John Rice Plumley. The system, I think it's going to catch some people by surprise in the SEC. I think it's going to put in pressure uh, on his offensive line. Um, but I think they'll have enough talent to do it. They got an exceptional running back, Kylan Hill. I had five losses. LSU, Texas A&M, Bama, Auburn, Georgia. I had three wins in Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Missouri. And that left me with Kentucky and Ole Miss as kind of those, all right, can you can you get both of those? It's probably a tall ask, but I think they will. I'm going to say Mike Leach works some of his magic. And I do think, you know, I, I had K, uh, KJ Costello his freshman year. Um, Stanford was playing Utah at Utah. And I remember talking to the Stanford coaches about KJ Costello, and they were like, he is unbelievable. They were kind of frustrated, though. I could tell he was just green. Like, he was, like, young, and they didn't feel like they could trust him with the whole playbook, and he split some ta- uh, snaps with Keller Chris that year. But, like, they were high on him, and they liked him. And I know it didn't work out there, but he is a physical specimen. I mean, he's he's got all the skills that you want. Might be one of the more talented quarterbacks, just natural quarterbacks that Mike Leach has had in a long time. So I think you're going to get production on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think they get those wins. So I, I, maybe there's some Mike Leach magic in there too. I'm going to take the over four and a half. I am on the under. I look at this as a situation where I think Mike Leach, as he's shown everywhere he's been, this is probably a good hire for them in the long term, assuming Leach is there. But short term, I think that there are problems because if we look at Mike Leach and just in general, his history once he takes over, because he's taking over a team now that has been running a kind of spread option, very RPO heavy offenses with, you know, quarterbacks who get involved in the run game. And he's coming in and he's implementing pure, unadulterated air raid where, you know, the quarterback's not expected to run. He's just supposed to stand in the shotgun, take one step back and throw a six yard out to whoever the hell, you know, is open at the time or he's going to dump down to his running back. But if you look when Leach takes over a program, the program always does worse in his first year than it did the year before. In, in 2000, he took over at Texas Tech. The year before, Texas Tech had been six and five, but it was five and three in conference. Leach's first year, they go seven and six, but they're three and five in conference at Washington State. Paul Wolf's last team in 2010 or 2011 was four and eight overall and two and seven in the conference. Leach went three and nine and one and eight in conference because it does take, it's usually not until his second year until he really gets things implemented and headed in the right direction. And really it's not until year three or four where things do take off to where we see him, you know, winning more games than anybody expects competing for division titles. So when I look at that situation of what he has to implement in his first year with the way that this off season has gone with, you know, out spring practices and with a very weird off season, summer get ready time for the season, you know, it in the last few months here or weeks before the season starts, I just have a hard time envisioning Mississippi state really hitting the gas or finding its stride until at least halfway through the season. But then when it gets to that halfway point, it's playing Alabama, then it gets Vandy, but then Auburn and Georgia in back-to-back weeks. So 
I just think this is a four and six team at best. I think three and seven, four and six. So I'm, I'm taking the under. Yes. Yeah. I'm on the under as well. Uh, this is, this is a repetition offense. This is like, it's built on being able, like it's built on practicing it incessantly and, and, you know, multiple players, multiple reps, like, uh, like this is just the, the, the necessity of finding success in this offense is just the experience in it and everyone being on the same page. And, uh, I just, I think not only to, to have that, but also be, implementing a offense that's that's sort of different in terms of its um just identity and like the way it tries to win is is going to be a problem um and uh, look at the schedule i think vander's vanderbilt's a win thank goodness for vanderbilt for all these teams uh lsu a and them bama georgia losses so you're one and four and then i i i think arkansas kentucky auburn Ole Miss and Missouri are all toss-ups. And I think that they're all like 40-60 toss-ups. Not all. I mean, I shouldn't say all 40-60 toss-ups. But like they're, I think they're gonna they're gonna lose more of those games than they're gonna win. Um, which which it doesn't sit you on the right side of that four and a half. And so I uh I I think this could be a really long year for Mississippi State. And that doesn't that won't necessarily to Tom's point, that won't necessarily mean that this is a bad hire or that that means bad things to come or anything like that. I just think that this is not line up for them to be able to find immediate success. And while I think there are some good players on defense, like there's not enough, not enough to carry this, this team that will be very much in a transition period. Oh, and I've got the over by the way. I'm, really? Yeah. I'm All f- right. I was about to change mine. I'm so down now. I was like, <laughs> man, I, I don't, because I was not confident on this one, but really I was like, all right, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, same total. Like, I kind of wanted to go one way or another. But man, these guys talk me off the ledge. I'm like, geez, but let me hear it, Chip. Back me up. Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Missouri are your wins. And I, but see, like, why is Missouri just like a win? Why is, why is Arkansas just a win? I don't, Arkansas, Bart. <laughs> Bart, Did we all have Ark. Is this? Oh, I know right. you had to. This guy, I, 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 I forgot that this is like I'm just in like this Arkansas. I'm yeah, Bart, I don't think I don't think Arkansas is an automatic win for Mississippi State. That's one of the games I think Arkansas actually has a chance to win. So the Mike Leach historical precedence is enough to uh, shake my confidence that the Bulldogs are going to be able to get two of the four toss-ups that I have, uh, and they are LSU, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and Auburn. And I will admit that when I ran the full analysis, I did it in, you know, east in alphabetical order, west in alphabetical order, and some of the Mississippi State toss-ups, I was throwing them on other teams thinking like, well, they might get got somewhere. Like you were looking in the rhythm of a schedule, and you're like, well, that could be a dangerous spot. And so... I, a lot of my over four, I think four and a half is a great number. And a lot of my over four and a half is not as much confidence in Mississippi state as understanding that in the grind of this 10 game sec schedule, as I was running through LSU, Kentucky, Texas, A&M and Auburn, I kept finding that game. And I'm like, I don't know, man, that, that could be one where they slip up. So not a, uh, sprint to the window, but, uh, certainly, um, certainly one that I'm willing to put my name by. I think it's five and five. Over four and a half. Count them up. 
We bring it to a close with the Texas A&M Aggies over under that we're dealing with here set at six and a half. I mentioned that there was one team that I had as the toss up Kings and they take the crown because (laughs) if you get fourth quarter Kellen Mond for four quarters, he's in that discussion for the best quarterback in the SEC. But you don't get fourth quarter Kellen Mond for four quarters so far. And if you have a Texas A&M team that had some bad injury luck, uh, that was sort of definitely fallen short uh, at the running back position, if you feel a little bit more confident in their ability to run the ball, if you look at the way that this Texas A&M team has been recruiting, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly the talent base for them to be able to go and get it. Again, the over-under set at six and a half, I've got five toss-ups the way that I look at this. I think that Vanderbilt, Arkansas, yes, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and Mississippi (laughs) are my wins. I think that Alabama and Auburn are the only surefire losses for Jimbo Fisher. But then there's Florida, there's Mississippi State, man, even South Carolina, because South Carolina is going to creep up and like they're going to have a Georgia game type moment. And maybe Texas A&M is ripe for that. And then I've got Tennessee and LSU. So can Texas A&M, the way that I'm looking at this, go and win most of those toss-ups? I, I think that LSU and Tennessee and Florida are losses, and you combine that with Alabama and Auburn. I've got Texas A&M going under the six and a half. Uh, I've, I've, I'm confidently on the over. <laughs> nice. I think I like this. So this is this was going to be Texas A&M's year. They the schedule set up nicely for them. They returned everybody. They've got an experienced quarterback as frustrating as he may be at times. He's still an experienced quarterback. They solved a, a running back issue last year when Isaiah Spiller came forward and had a good season as a true freshman. Now he's back. He's sort of their they're going to be their their main guy, but they've got Ania Smith and Devin O'Shane, who's a true freshman, uh, who's one of the fastest players in college football. They return talent at receiver. Uh, DeMond Demas, five-star wide receivers coming in. Jalen Weidermeyer, who was their second tight end last year, emerged as one of the top true freshman tight ends in the country. And Baylor Cup, the five-star, got hurt, missed the season. Now he comes in as their backup tight end. They, got, they return all five of their offensive line. They return 17 starters totally. I think they return 10 starters on defense. And some of those starters might get beat out by younger guys who are just that good. Like, this team is just talented. They've done a good job. Like, Jimbo Fisher was brought in. He was, he's a $75 million man for one reason. It's to recruit. It's to spend... You know, all that $75 million is not because Jimbo Fisher is going to come in and, you know, it's not just because he's a boot guy. It's because he's going to come in. (laughs) He's going to come in, and that $75 million is like being directed at recruiting. And he's done it. He's, 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 he's revamped the roster in a positive way. And I, and the, I think that this is a team. Now, now here's the here's the deal. Like, I I, I think they'll be over. I think they'll be. I think they're going to be second in the West. Uh, I think that they're going to have a uh, that kind of a year. And yet, if they don't, then like what? Like, why is Jimbo Fisher even there? Because, and I guess this isn't like the end of the road. Obviously, I mean, they've got they'll a lot of these same guys that are good this year will be back next year. 
They've they've got some you know young guys that are coming up that'll continue to 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 turn the roster over. But if he can't get it done this year, then I I don't think he's what we like. He's not the best version of Jimbo Fisher that we were hoping to be getting at Texas A and M. And so I have an I I I believe in them to to be on the over. I believe in them as the second best team in the West. And yet, if it doesn't play out, like I have that that does shake me. In terms of, uh, uh, in terms of the prognostication for Jimbo Fisher's tenure, and it's not it's not like the most confident prognostication as is. I just think this is a year he has to prove that he is what we thought he was. I'm also on the over. Mm. I, I mean, I, I I considered this team. I wrote a whole piece on this team being a dark horse going into 2020 for a lot of the reasons Barton's already mentioned. Of course, now things you know the schedule got kind of thrown into flux because this was a team last year that was a lot better than its record suggested. It just played an absolute, you know, brain battering schedule that killed them in a lot of games against, you know, some of the best teams in the country, but against the teams they were supposed to beat, they played well and they won those games. And when I look at this, I see a lot of those teams on the schedule. Vandy win, Mississippi state win, Arkansas win, South Carolina win, Mississippi win, Tennessee Coin flip, Auburn, more of a coin flip than I think most people want to believe. I, I I think Florida at home, a very winnable game for this Aggies team because it is very talented. And in fact, it's more talented than Florida. So I think that I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm 100% super confident in this pick, but I do think this is a 7-3 and three team. And I do think that this is a team that is going to be competing in the West because, as I've said on the show, I think Alabama's probably going 8-2. and two. I think LSU is going to be an 8-2 and two team. And I think Texas A&M is going to be right there with them at 7-3 competing for that division. I don't think they're going to pull it off, but I think that come the end of the year, they're going to be in the conversation heading into that game against LSU in late November. All right. I, if you guys can read my notes, I don't, I don't think you can see that. I have over, like in my Ron Burgundy, mm-hmm. I have three question marks <laughs> after it. Like, I'm taking the over for all the reasons you mentioned, like all the returning starters, um, eight offense, 10 defense. You got a four year starter, a quarterback, and Kellen Mond. Totally agree with everything you guys are talking about. Jimbo Fisher, this is the year. I, I just look at it, I'm like, like I, I think what Barton brought up is the really interesting conversation, like what if it doesn't happen this year? Because I thought Kevin Sumlin had a really good thing going there, and it wasn't good enough. And he was rattling off nine wins, eight wins every year, and that's ironically, that's what Jimbo Fisher has done his first two years. Like, you've had more of the same. So they're going to be getting antsy in College Station, like, hey, this is supposed to be the year. Like, maybe he gets an out because it's, you know, COVID and all these things, but I don't... $75 million brings those expectations up. True Story about Jimbo Fisher. When I was uh, I was working for ESPN, it was at the ACC like media days. And it was Jimbo Fisher's introduction. Like here he is, his first time there. And they're having this cocktail party outside. It was in Greensboro. You stay at the hotel there and there's a golf course. And it's like outside this beautiful backdrop. Grandover, and, you know, baby. The Grandover Resort. Yeah, Come on, shout exactly. it out. So, so I'm over there schmoozing with all these coaches, trying to network and stuff. And like, I'm a Florida State guy. I'm like, oh, let me go talk to Jimbo. All the coaches are doing the same thing, like having a cocktail, schmoozing with the media. Like, where is he? Like, I can't find Jimbo. He's like 50 yards removed. And he's over there. And you know what he's doing? He's on a phone. And he is 
recruiting. Like that's what he was. He literally was on the phone the entire time, and it was talking to recruits, hammering, hammering the phones, getting the talent in there. Because he is an outstanding recruiter. He's going to get the talent there. He's been getting the talent there. Now it's time to deliver on it. I think they do it much like you guys. I had kind of the same thing. I had five wins pegged. You know, can you get? I had I had two losses to Bama and UF, but like uh, that's the other thing I think Jimbo needs too is a signature win. Like, where is the the win that's like the defining Texas A and M win? It's LSU. It's the seventy four seventy yeah the seventy four seventy two the one that ended with the fight right afterwards Where with they Damian Craig the because yeah. of it yeah mm-hmm. but like LSU wasn't great that year like it would have been great if they would be like you know like that is that is absolutely a signature win but is it like he needs to knock off Bama Florida you know I, I think the, I think he's got to get one of those two I think he can I think I got I got I have them as losses I just think he's I. I have the over, but I think he has to get the over. There's going to be some rumblings. Not not like he's going to get fired or hot seats up, but I just think it's going to get – the stress levels are going to amp up a little bit. So I took the over, but not with a lot of confidence. It's kind of like it has to happen. A reminder, these numbers available at the Edgewater Entertainment and Emporium Sports Casino Empire. The Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Emporium. <laughs> You can, for all PR inquiries, please contact him at Tom Fernelli to follow any of us and, and shop around if there are uh, offshore or other options to be able to get in there. Uh, to follow the rest of us on Twitter, you can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter you speak that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale friday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus